Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music, music teachers. This is episode 66 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, I'm sharing my biggest mistakes that I've made when it comes to teaching technique to piano students. Hey there, beautiful teachers. In this episode, I thought I would share with you some of these mistakes that I've made in the teaching of technique specifically that I'm hoping I can help you avoid instead of repeating my past mistakes. These are things that I've been reflecting on recently as I consider how much my teaching has actually changed. And I think a lot of them, though they are piano specific, if you're teaching another instrument, a lot of the reflections will still be relevant. They just You just might have to tweak them to be about a slightly different angle because, of course, your technique will vary. The very first mistake that I definitely made in the beginning was basically to not teach technique at all. That sounds pretty crazy, right? Because we have to teach students how to play the instrument and at some level that is technique, isn't it? But here's the thing, I wasn't really taught technique, and not in the way that I define it now anyway. So I see technique and technical exercises as two separate items. They are not the same thing. And when I was growing up, when I was taking piano lessons, I did plenty of technical exercises, but I was never taught how to actually move. There was demonstration and I was, you know, expected to repeat and try to imitate the sound and that will develop some sense of different types of technique. But, and I was, you know, taught what different articulations and stuff like that sounded like. But no one said, move this way or, you know, roll your wrist forward. There's no specifics like that. And so when I taught my students, I didn't really talk like that either. And I always knew it was wrong. I always knew as a student that something was missing, but I didn't know how to articulate it myself. I didn't know how to explain to my teacher, ask for what I wanted, right? Maybe they would have taught me if I had requested it, but they didn't do it unprompted. And I didn't know how to ask them if what I was doing was right or wrong. I only knew the basics of curve your fingers. I don't think anyone even mentioned strong fingertips. It was just about curving your fingers. I probably would have been reprimanded if I had my wrists too low, but I'd say that was it, right? There wasn't a huge amount of talk of posture and the different movements we use and all of that setup. And I gradually discovered that myself as I progressed. And then I 
developed it further as a teacher, really. It's when I started teaching it that I started understanding it from my own playing much better and knowing why I moved this way or that and how I could refine those movements to be more efficient, more comfortable, more healthy, all of that stuff. So this is a huge mistake, not teaching it at all. And even if you, like me, don't necessarily have the background in a strong approach technique from your previous teacher, I still believe you can teach it because you can start to dissect why you're doing things the way you are and to understand that and you can follow the advice of great people out there who've done wonderful research about this. So that's the first mistake, is simply not teaching it. And that's the mistake I made for several years. But alongside that, I was also making specific mistakes of how I was teaching technique, whether explicitly or implicitly, that were affecting the way my students played, how they performed. The first one, which is something I've adjusted, I'd say, more recently than the others I'm going to mention here, is focusing on legato first. And I only really adjusted my teaching to focus on non-legato playing first and foremost, and then get to legato later to delay legato playing a little bit further out. About three or four years ago, when I encountered Piano Safari and started using their books, little by little, and more and more, and they became my favourite, method that I use with lots of my students. Not all, I don't believe in one method book covering all students ever, but I do use Piano Safari for more of my students than any other method. And they talk about this idea of teaching non-legato first, so that the student can learn to use their whole arm to play. And it makes an enormous difference. It's one of those little shifts. I mean, it's not a little change to make, but really you're, it's a tweak, right? You're just swapping something around. You're swapping early legato for early non-legato and swapping those around. It's not actually a major shift, although it may require some adjustments on your part. And it can make an enormous difference to how students play in the long run, especially how good they are at playing legato. Because when they do it too soon, you get all of these issues. You get the students' finger joints collapsing, you get them lowering their wrists, you get them pushing into the keys, you get the really bouncy arm. A bit of arm bounce obviously is fine, but the really pushy one, uh, someone in the local exam board called it nudgy playing, right? So you get all of these things. And if you just waited on legato a little bit, develop the hand shape, develop the arm weight, and the way they move at the piano, they would be better off. And you would also be less likely to have that issue of students who get stuck to the keys. If you've had a student who's been in a position-based method, like a C position method or something like that, especially, they will sometimes develop this habit of basically getting stuck to the keys. Like, I will demonstrate going over my thumb and they will try to put their third finger over their thumb without moving their fourth and fifth fingers? How was that possible? I don't know. But they somehow tried to leave them on the keys they were already on, because they're so much more comfortable in one shape. And I believe this non-legato playing, because they're leaving the keys more often, helps to combat that as well. So that's the major shift that I've made in the fundamental teaching of technique, and that is all thanks to Piano Safari and many other wonderful authors and pedagogues out there who teach the same thing. But that's where I discovered it was in the work of Piano Safari, uh, Julie Nair and Catherine Fisher. 
So I'll be forever grateful to them for that and for their wonderful books. The next mistake I made was teaching scales too soon. And this is very related, right? Because if you're teaching legato soon, it makes sense to teach scales right away. And it's tempting because there's a lot of scales to get through and we want to have enough time to cover them with our students and we want them to become familiar with them and we want to normalize the practicing of scales so that they get used to practicing them during their their practice time and that it's just a standard part of their routine. But I found that actually by delaying scales for most of my students, now keep in mind I'm teaching mostly young beginners, under seven beginners, most of them delaying scales for one to two years if they're on the younger side is more beneficial. And that when they get to scales, they fly through them. Which brings me to my next mistake, which was teaching scales too gradually. I used to teach C major, G major and D major, and A and then E, and then stop for ages, <laughs> and then teach, go over those for weeks and weeks and months and months perhaps, and then maybe teach B and then F, and then a long time would pass, and then I would teach some flats, and it would take us ages to get through all 12 keys. That's not what I do anymore. In our Piano Power Booster course inside VMT, we do the same thing that I do now, which is with an older student or with a student who's um, been through a year of lessons at a younger age, they're getting through all 12 major keys pretty fast, within one to two years. That's a pretty drastic change. And it goes against our exam systems. Most exam systems stagger these things out far more. The reason I've changed the way I approach this and why I'm slightly, let's call it against or not against, contradicting what the exam systems do, the way they lay out the syllabus, is because it develops this sense that black keys are hard, that the more flats you have or the more sharps you have, the harder it gets. And that's nonsense. That's not true. And that bleeds through into all of your pieces and how you think about music in general. It's so not true. G flat is super comfortable to play in. It's one of the easiest keys, right? And we all know that as teachers because we play so many duets in it with a lot of beginning method books. So by Waiting longer to start scales and then going faster through them, moving faster through them, students get a much better sense of how all the keys are basically the same. None is really that much harder than the other. Yes, there's slightly more difficult to remember fingering patterns only because they're more irregular, but that's it. And if you improvise with them first, as we do in all the VMT courses and explore all of these keys one after the other in fairly quick succession and develop over time and then introduce country motions for all of them and arpeggios for all of them. There's not this fear of certain keys versus other keys and they get to explore more different ways of making music and I think it's more enjoyable and that ultimately makes scales more fun as well. When you're improvising with them, when you're getting to explore all these different things and notice the patterns because you're encountering more of them, it's more fun. Okay, which brings me to mistake number five and mistake number five is thinking that scales teach technique. They don't. I'm sorry. Scales are not a lesson in technique. They are a technical exercise but they are not a lesson in technique. I can play scales with terrible technique if I want to, right? We've all seen students do that. I can get the fingering right, I can play it probably at the tempo you're requesting, but it'll be, you know, with poor tone production, 
terrible looking technique and it won't be beneficial for my technique development. But if you think of scales as maybe a bit of a technical exercise, but also a lesson in theory and also an opportunity to create music, as we've been talking about in our creativization challenge, then we start to see them differently. And we don't rely on them to teach technique because they don't teach it, but we use them in conjunction with everything else and they fit in more holistically into what our students are learning in general. Scales are a building block of music. They're not a way to teach someone to play legato. You can teach students to play legato using any pattern, right? Scales are a window into music. They're a way of exploring music, but they're not a lesson in technique. And my final mistake, number six, is not demonstrating enough, especially when it comes to technique. And I don't know why this wouldn't have occurred to me sooner. Looking back, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty, pretty dumb. How did I not realize that? That you need to demonstrate more and more when it comes to technique so that students see what they should be imitating. That's something I didn't do a lot when I was a young teacher, when I was just starting out. I didn't show them enough what I meant and the difference it made and draw their attention to the different types of sounds I was creating by moving my body in different ways. It's such a simple little change, but it changes an enormous amount of your teaching. And if you're not demonstrating, how are they going to know what to model? How are they going to know how it should look, right? Just describing it or adjusting their movements is fine. But if they see you do it, and if you do it alongside them, not even a formal demonstration, but just sitting beside them, doing their technique exercises with them, they'll learn so much by osmosis just by you being there and doing it correctly. I hope you'll give it a go if you don't do much demonstrating in that area yourself. Okay, those were my five big mistakes that I've made in the teaching of technique. First one was simply not teaching it at all. Then I adjusted the fact that I was focusing on legato first and changed to focus on non-legato for a good while before introducing legato. Changed the whole game. Then I started teaching scales a little bit later but also sped up the teaching of scale so that I was teaching all of the keys much sooner. And then I started adjusting how I think about scales so that I wasn't thinking that they were teaching technique, but rather that they were a musical exercise, that they were so much more than a technique, a technical exercise. And I started demonstrating more often and calling attention to what I was doing when I was demonstrating too. So I hope that some of this has given you some inspiration. Perhaps one of these hit home. Perhaps this is a mistake you're making right now or that you used to make in the past. If so, let me know. Uh, You can write to me in the Facebook group, Vibrant Music Studio Teachers, or leave a note on the comments of this show notes at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 66. That's the number 66. And I wanted to let you know that if you want more help with technique, I have a webinar coming up soon. So if you want to sign up for that, go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash technique. I'm so excited to see you on that webinar and I'll chat to you next week. If you'd like some help taking a more creative approach to scales, as we talked about on this podcast, then you're going to want to join Vibrant Music Teaching and get access to our wonderful courses. Go to vmt.ninja to sign up today.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.